Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we're going to talk about Medicare for All. A bill that would create a Medicare for All health system is now before the House with more supporters than ever. But at this point, that's still not enough for it to become law. Nevertheless, its supporters, much like the advocates of same-sex marriage years ago, are taking the long view that it will someday soon. My guest today is one of the nation's leading advocates for Medicare for All, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed. Dr. El-Sayed is a multi-talented guy. He's a trained physician, he knows policy. For a while, he led the Detroit Department of Health, and he knows politics. He was a top surrogate for Senator Bernie Sanders during his 2020 presidential run, and the doctor ran for governor himself in Michigan in 2018. And he's got a new book out called Medicare for All, A Citizen's Guide that he wrote with Dr. Micah Johnson. And now here's our conversation about the politics of Medicare for All with Dr. Abdul El-Sayed. Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, from your home in Ann Arbor, Michigan, to mine in Oakland, welcome to It's All Political. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. All things considered, I am, uh, I'm doing okay. I'm pandemic well, as they say. Pandemic well. I like that. I think I will, I will, I will officially steal that. So uh, first of all, I want to commend our readers to your book, Medicare for All, A Citizen's Guide. It is easy to read, easy to understand, very straightforward. It is uh, not not a polemic, if that's what uh, you fear. It has a, definitely has a point of view, but it is, uh, it's, it's not uh, 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 offensive to those who might be like, I don't want to read about Medicare for All. It's, it's really straightforward. Okay. Now, since this is, it's all political, you write in your book, quote, policy remains a matter of theory if it is not politically practicable. So let's talk about the politics of Medicare for All. Uh, last week, uh, Congresswoman uh, Jayapal, uh, who's been a guest on this show, and uh, Congresswoman uh, Debbie Dingell introduced it in the House. It has more than half the Democratic caucus on board, but as we know, Passage in the House is not a given, certainly, and passage in the Senate is going to be really tough uh, where the Democrats have the slimmest of margins. Now, I, I wrote about this about, about a month into the shutdown, um, and, you, and you talk about this in the book, that uh, for all the devastation that the pandemic has done to us, it may have helped the cause of Medicare for all. Tell us a little bit about why you feel that way. Well, I think Americans watched as uh, this pandemic waylaid a structurally unsound healthcare system throughout the pandemic, whether it was watching uh, nurses and doctors and healthcare workers in hospitals trying to care for patients on limited ventilators in garbage bags and months old uh, masks, or was watching 15 million uh, of our loved ones, our friends and family, our uh, coworkers lose their healthcare. Uh, because they lost their jobs in the middle of the the worst global pandemic in over a century. Mm -hmm. Or it was the fact that we did not have the healthcare infrastructure uh, or the public health infrastructure to prevent this or respond to this in a meaningful way. It's obvious that our healthcare system was simply not up to the task. And if we're not serious about taking on the rot at the core of this healthcare system uh, and the structural deficits that left us where uh, we've been for the last year plus, um, then you know at some point we have to ask if we're serious about healthcare as a human right in this country at all. 
And so I, I do think that this pandemic has shown the healthcare system for what it is. It put it through possibly the worst stress test you could imagine. And our healthcare system was found wanting, which forces the question, how do we fix it? And I think Medicare for all uh, is the right approach to addressing the structural deficit uh, at the heart of uh, the failures of our healthcare system over the past 15 months. Um, and I think Americans are looking at it with uh, a new lens. So we have, the, of course, the... the uh under Medicare for all, everyone would have been covered. So if you lost your job uh, because of the, what happened during the pandemic, you would be covered, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also the coordination aspect. Uh, we were, uh, took us months uh, for various hospital systems the very uh, that, that do not talk to each other to start talking to each other. Uh, that's sort of uh, one of those behind the scenes parts of uh, Medicare for all that don't get talked about as much. That would have that would have been a different uh, scene if, if we had Medicare for all, correct? You're right. I mean, in the same way that the rest of our healthcare system has been balkanized for corporate profit, uh, our, the, the method of, of, of communication, right, the, the electronic medical record uh, has been similarly balkanized. And um, what that means is that uh, you have uh, different hospitals and, um, and, and databases that don't talk to each other as a means of protection for the others, right? And and this is what happens across the board when uh, the healthcare system is leveraged for profit, and that becomes the number one goal, uh, rather than a healthcare system that is oriented to the well-being uh, of the people it's supposed to serve. And so this is just another example uh, of how the uh, incentive to try and make money off of sick people interrupts our ability to take care of those people when they're sick. Uh, you, may, you wear many hats. You're a, a, a licensed medical doctor, uh, but you're also a, a policy expert. So let's 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 uh, walk out a little bit about where this goes in, in Washington. You're still short of votes. The the healthcare industry uh, is bottomless pockets and enormous sway. But you, one thing that I found interesting in the book is you write that there's uh, several swing con contingencies that could help you here uh, that that uh, weren't in play before, um, and among them are doctors. Uh, not specialists, uh, like say neurologists, or uh, for example, they they get more money uh, the more they bill. But f family doctors and pediatricians, the docs who many of us see most often, you said that they have. Uh, you feel that they could uh, be much more supportive and much more vocally supportive of you. Why is that? Well, I, I want to correct the record. I'm, I'm not a practicing clinician. In fact, I went to medical school and decided specifically not to practice. Uh, because but you, of how you have broken... a license that you have a degree. You have a I have degree. a degree. Yeah. Um, yes, yes. I, uh, I finished my MD, but, um, so I, I have a, a, a plaque on the wall that says I'm a medical doctor, but, okay. um, <laughs> I did not pursue a medical license to, uh, to, to practice medicine. And, and the reason why, uh, frankly, is because our healthcare system, um, could not achieve the goals that I, I had for my career, which is, uh, alleviating the kinds of inequities, uh, that shape healthcare access. Uh, in our country, and so I wanted my work to be about trying to fix the system, um, so that so that doctors could uh, be about fixing patients in the system. And yes, um, thank you for correcting me. No, no, I I, I want to correct the record because I think yeah. for so many physicians, like the ones that I graduated with, um, they're graduating into a healthcare system that does not allow them to achieve the gain the 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 ends uh, that they had for their careers. People don't get into medicine. Um, you know, because they want to watch their patients struggle uh, to pay their bills for the care that they provided them. People get into medicine because uh, they want to make people feel better. And um, this system fails to do that. So what's happening uh, right now is physician interests are 
shifting, uh, I think, dramatically when it comes to the structure of our healthcare system, uh, because in a lot of ways, the healthcare system has cheated doctors out of a lot of the things that they had expected. Um, the first is a, a paycheck, right? Obviously, doctors are known for earning uh, a relatively uh, healthy paycheck, uh, certainly. Um, but what's happened over time is that whereas physicians used to uh, mostly work for other physicians or for themselves as, as small business owners in a practice, um, they can no longer compete with the larger healthcare providers, the big uh, gargantuan corporate uh, healthcare systems that have moved in that can leverage their size and their heft to command uh, higher uh, reimbursement rates uh, than the smaller guys can. And so what happens is they get outcompeted and bought up. Um, and so now as a physician, you don't really have the option to, to work for yourself or to start a small business. You're stuck working for a major corporation where rather than MDs at the top, you've got MBAs who are making huge amounts of money uh, off of the system and off of your labor. Meanwhile, uh, more importantly, you're watching your patients struggle to be able to afford the care that you provide them with less and less time that you get uh, to provide uh, that care. And so for the first time in 2018, the median physician no longer worked for a physician-owned practice. And for the first time in 2018, the median physician uh, supported single-payer healthcare. Those two things are very related. Um, and mm -hmm. so I think doctors are changing in the perspective. And of course, this falls on a historical backdrop where physicians were some of the leading advocates against uh, any form of government health insurance uh, in the past. I mean, the first real push for uh, government health care happened during the Truman years, uh, National Health Insurance Program. And the American Medical Association paid $5 million, which at that time was a gargantuan sum of money, uh, to kill it. And uh, and that's what happened. And they've been opposed uh, to any sort of universal uh, government health insurance plan ever since. But I think that's starting to change quite a bit as physicians are starting to realize that they've been swept under the rug by a system that is driven by corporate profit uh, rather than their well-being and more importantly, their patients' well-being. The AMA, of course, is not doctors, is, is not doctors, uh, individual doctors. Do, do you sense that the AMA, could, the American Medical Association, could come on board with this? Or do you think they're still uh, too much in the hands of, uh, <laughs> of, of corporate profit and, 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 uh, and, and the industry? I think they're going to be one of the the last holdouts. Um, okay. You know, most recently they uh, were part of the founding uh, membership of a, uh, <laughs> a a corporate junta uh, called the Partnership for America's <laughs> Healthcare Future. Which, uh, if you remember watching the 2019 2020 primary season, uh, they're the ones who ran all those ads uh, uh, smearing Medicare for all. And then, as soon as you know, very tellingly, as soon as uh, uh, now President Joe Biden won the nomination, they just changed the verbiage in the ads. So instead of being about Medicare for all, they were about the public option. And, um, you know, that tells us something really profound about the nature of opposition. This industry wants to maintain the status quo at all costs. And so sometimes there's this assumption that because Medicare for all goes further than something like a public option, that of course, the opposition that we'd get uh, is further too. The problem is, is that the industry only has two settings, on or off. They're either going to fully oppose or not. And um, and so anyone thinking that, you know, the, the public option is a better middle way because it's not going to draw the same kind of ire from the industry uh, is mistaken. Because look at, look at the kind of ire that uh, the ACA drew, and that was fixated on a private uh, system of insurance. And so I, I think we've got to learn our lesson from uh, the hand that they've shown us uh, and recognize that we're going to get opposition for any sort of addressing, any sort of attempt to address the status quo. And the status quo is fundamentally unsustainable. Uh, it has been uh, uh, sending people into bankruptcy and, and denying them health care for, for decades now. So another swing constituency that you, you 
talk about in the book is organized labor. Now, here in California, we, you know, especially here in the Bay Area, we have we are home to the National Nurses, uh, National Nurses United, very powerful Oakland headquartered labor union that's long been a leader in Medicare for all. So is the SEIU. But other labor unions are a little bit more reluctant to come forward. Uh, and I hear this from my friends in unions. They're like, well, my my benefits are better than Medicare for all or better than Medicare. And they're concerned that, uh, that, that, that Medicare for all would be almost like a step down for them. But that, too, is changing. And I think there's been some, some, uh, some, some tweaks to the legislation that, that might bring those folks on board. You want to talk about those? Yeah. Um, look, I, I think... Part of this is that the um, the the industry has has spent so much money uh, fear mongering people about what they would lose out of a system that is constantly extracting from them in the first place, and um, you know they've been able to fear monger unions to say, well, you all have worked so hard to negotiate these incredible rates uh, for your members that. Uh, that's all going to be gone under Medicare for All. The fact is, is that what's not being said is that all of the resources that go into healthcare uh, on behalf of union members by their employers, those are resources that would be freed up to invest in uh, in families uh, in, in, in so many other uh, far more empowering ways if you didn't have to worry about whether or not you'd have healthcare. And so, you know, we are so um, stuck on the system that we have right now uh, that sometimes I think we lack the imagination. I say this uh, as a, a proud union member um, and and somebody who believes deeply in organized labor. Uh, and you know, God bless the nurses for um, for for leading on this fight because they're the folks who see healthcare on both sides. Not only uh, are they uh, constantly bargaining um, in the same way that every union is, but they work inside the system and they see the system's inefficiencies uh, and brokenness every single day. Um, and I think their leadership matters a lot because. Uh, it shows us um, exactly what we're fighting for and it reminds us of the moral clarity of what healthcare ought to be in the first place. We'll have more of our conversation about the politics of Medicare for All with Dr. Abdul El Sayed after this short break. And now, here's more of our conversation about Medicare for All with Dr. Abdul El Sayed. When you look at polls and you quote polls throughout the book, um, and uh, but one poll that always comes up, and, and you reference this too, is that people are, are are very supportive of Medicare for all, even even a, a sizable chunk of Republicans, until they were asked in a poll uh, or told that it would mean that they would lose their private health insurance. Now, as you're right, the, the poll question doesn't <laughs> doesn't often say that they will also you know they, they will lose their private health insurance, but they will get a comprehensive plan, you know, and it's in its uh, stead. But um, but still. People are, you know, for most of us get our health insurance through our work. That it's a, a sort of a bedrock thing where we're kind of tied to that private health insurance. Walk me through this. I'm a Kaiser member. Mm-hmm. I have Kaiser health insurance today. If Medicare for all were to pass tomorrow, what would that mean? Can I, I like my Kaiser doc. Can I still go to him there? What would, what would that mean for me from a, for a day-to-day perspective? Yeah. The part that they don't tell you about the polls is that it's true that when you tell people that they would lose their private health insurance, support for uh, Medicare for all drops. But here's the part yes. they don't tell you, that when you tell them that they would definitely be able to keep their doctor, it's not only that su- that support for Medicare for all goes back up, it in fact goes back up even higher than it had been in the first place. Yes. And the fact is, is that right now, the single biggest gatekeeper 
around what doctor you can see, what hospital you can go to is your health insurer, right? They negotiate these sweetheart rates with these different insurers uh, and different hospitals, and 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 you're not allowed uh, to 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 step outside of uh, of that sweetheart deal. Uh, and, or you're going to be hit with, uh, you know, an, an absurd bill um, that's that's oftentimes many times the size uh, you would have paid if you stayed within the deal. And so, um, you know, under Medicare for All, you have one national health insurance plan. In effect, every physician, every provider, every hospital uh, would be forced to take it. Otherwise, you know, there are no other insurers out there. And so, yes, you could see not just those doctors that are currently in your network that you like to see. You could see any doctor you want. Um, and that's a really, really important recognition uh, and something that's that's often hidden away by folks who want to frame uh, Medicare for All as being about loss when, in fact, Medicare for All, frankly, is about liberty and about gain. And um, and so that, that's really critical. So for you, you know, as a as a Kaiser member, um, you know, if, if we were to pass Medicare for All tomorrow, uh, the health insurance part of your Kaiser plan, Kaiser's unique. It's it's not like most of the other uh, yes. health insurance systems because it runs its own hospitals and, and employs its own doctors. And so it's this sort of mini uh, mini national health insurance program uh, akin to the UK's. Uh, and, and so you ostensibly, right, um, the insurance part of your Kaiser plan would go away, but the providers would still be there. You could still go into a Kaiser hospital uh, and see your Kaiser doctor, and and that wouldn't change because Kaiser, like all of the other providers, uh, would really have to continue to to to, um, uh, to take uh, the national health program. Otherwise, uh, in effect, it would be rendering itself uh, moot as a, as a provider. But the politics are uh, two people who are not on board with the Medicare for all uh, or what to one of many uh, key people then and is Nancy Pelosi. And she likes to say that she was for single payer, you know, before any of us were born. Uh, but, but with the, even with the affordable care act, she wouldn't allow the public option to be included in that. What needs to happen to change her mind? And, and why doesn't she get more heat for not, uh, for not being supportive of this? She's seen as many as one of the most progressive people in the, the country. She represents uh, possibly the most progressive district in the, in the, in the country. What's uh, how important is Pelosi, and why doesn't she get more heat for it? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, you know, she, she was for Medicare for all. I don't know uh, what happened to make her uh, become faint of heart uh, on it, but you know, I, I'd love to see her support it again. I think it's the right thing uh, for uh, our country. It's the right thing, certainly for. Uh, her constituents, and you know, if you if you were to pull uh, her constituents out in uh, the Bay Area, I'm I'm, I'm rather certain uh, the majority of them support Medicare for all. Um, at the same time, there is a lot of power um, that the corporate insurance industry has. They spent 152 million dollars last year alone um, uh, 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 lobbying politicians. They spent 120 million dollars electioneering, uh, donating to politicians, and. You know, if you're the um, <clears throat> if you're the uh, speaker of Democratic Speaker of the House, uh, unfortunately, right in in this current moment, so many Democrats take uh, money from this industry that it becomes almost untenable uh, not to do the bidding of the industry. And this is this is why the fight for Medicare for all really has to be about uh, democracy for reform in general, right? So long as these corporations continue uh, to be able to um, buy the, the 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 support of uh, of of our politicians, we are not going to have a politics um, that can uh, that can put the people uh, over the corporations and their profits. And I, I think um, the 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 story of 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 Speaker Pelosi's 
support and then non-support, uh, I think tracks with that rather clearly. Um, you know, at the same time, I don't, I don't believe that we're going to get Medicare for all under a Biden administration, right? I, I assume the second of the two people that that you were going to mention was was President Biden. He um, was, yes, yeah. He he, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he does not support Medicare for all. He's made that rather clear, and it's unlikely that we're going to get Medicare for all uh, under his uh, under his leadership. At the same time, though, this is the moment where we do that deep organizing that can determine whether or not we get Medicare for all in the future. And I want folks to understand that even if it's not going to happen in the next two or four years, uh, that what we do today is going to dictate whether or not it's going to happen in the long term. And if we believe in this thing, our belief can't can't hinge on uh, you know a one to two year time horizon. Is that we've got to be working tirelessly tirelessly for it now. Uh, and so, frankly, whether or not these politicians support it or they don't. It doesn't change the fact that it's the right thing to do. It doesn't change the fact that um, you know the power building that we need to do has to be ongoing, has to continue. And doesn't change the fact that you know in the future it's going to be increasingly untenable for a democratic politician uh, to run for office, let alone hold uh, a place of of deep power without supporting this policy change. Well, I may think that's what uh, what may be at the root of, of uh, Pelosi's reluctance is now that she's you know uh, the speaker. Uh, she's concerned about all those Democrats in swing districts where if they were to run for Medicare for all, they feel that, you know, they would be uh, we we'd hear the same old stuff from the Republicans that socialized medicine. It's, you know, a government run uh, a, a program, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you're, you're too far left for the district. And they they are fewer are willing to go there. What do you do about those folks? Well, I'll say this, the, the the majority of Democrats in the House support Medicare for all, right? That's number one. Number two, I actually just think that that is a very old, uh, outdated way of thinking about where our politics are today. And and the reason why is this, I think- But they but they feel, but it's legit. They do, they do feel that way. They, they may feel that way. Um, and I think that oftentimes has more to do with what their donors tell them than what their constituents tell them. Uh, because if you poll poll Republicans, right, there was an interesting poll of uh, Republicans in swing states back in 2019 that asked how many points would Donald Trump lose if he supported Medicare for all? And the poll found that he'd lose two points, two points. <laughs> Indeed, if you actually look at support for Medicare for all among Republicans, it's quite high. Uh, another poll found that 50% of, of Republicans thought that Medicare for all should be a high priority uh, for President Biden and um, and and in the Democratic Congress, and so there's this notion somehow that you know the world is this ideologically consistent place, but if you look at where the Republican base is, they tend to be folks who are frankly the most hurt by the brokenness in our healthcare system. You look at right. rural uh, communities; they've hemorrhaged their hospitals because they cannot uh, maintain a profit. And because they can't maintain a profit, that means hospitals are closing down. That means that people have to drive two hours, three hours sometimes to get uh, care urgently. And, um, and, 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 and that really is a travesty. That's if you know, you're privileged enough to have health insurance, uh, which a large proportion of people don't. And so you know, as the base of re- the Republican Party I, I becomes um, lower and lower income, which is happening, I think Medicare for All is becoming a higher, higher 
uh, a higher and higher space of interest. Now, there are other challenges there because we found that, of course, you know, even if uh, you take a health reform approach like the ACA that originated as a conservative idea and try and implement it in a democratic administration, there's going to be major blowback. But that tells us that it's not really about ideology as much as it is about negative partisanship. And so, you know, if you're going to get blowback for being a Democrat anyway, you might as well try and and, and get that blowback doing something that's going to help your constituents. And um, <laughs> might as well just go for it and and and. and uh... You're gonna you're gonna hear about it one way or the other. Why not why not do something that that stays close to your values? Exactly. You compare this in the book at one point to the and and you alluded this a minute ago about sort of the this is a long game you're playing. You're you're not going to get under a Biden presidency. This is a this is a long game you're playing. And you compared it to the to the battle for same sex marriage. And it's funny you say that because just the other day I was having a, a conversation with someone who has been involved in that for for you know, it's much of its long, it's a uh, modern arc from the time. And, and, you know, there was for a while here, even here in California, the battle for same-sex marriage was about, this is a, a, a right. This is, you know, this is about uh, fairness, et cetera, et cetera. That argument, they lost 30, 35 times in states around the country with that argument. When they switched to a uh, to describing this as this is about love. This is about uh, who you love. You, we should all be able to love who we love. Um, th- then they started to see some success. Um, what is there something that needs to change in the core messaging of Medicare for all uh, in a similar way? And and as you point out in the book, of course. People who were opposed to same-sex marriage did not have, you know, uh, one uh, trillions of dollars in, in assets like the the, the uh, hospital industry does. Uh, but but is there need to be a change in messaging uh, that would that could touch the heartstrings as uh, as opposed to the maybe the purse strings as much? You know, I think sometimes we attribute um, social change to a singular moment um, <clears throat> rather than the architecture. That was created by a full movement, and um, mm-hmm. you know it, it, it takes it takes both. It takes a very uh, strong, direct justice message, but it also takes a hopeful, honest human message, and it takes them both in concert. And I think we're in a moment where um, the work that's been done to introduce the idea of a national health insurance program uh, akin to Medicare for all, right? I think that's really powerful and really important. I do think that the message is going to shift. It's going to change. Um, And frankly, I think what's going to change it is that we've just come through this moment uh, of deep and profound pain in this country centralized around a healthcare system that was not up to the task uh, that, uh, that, that left us in a situation uh, where our hospitals were filling up, um, 15 million people lost their health insurance, and probably most importantly, uh, at least now, 540,000 and counting people have lost their lives, millions more have lost their livelihoods. And so this moment, right, I, I think uh, forces us to think about how do we uh, talk about this issue as a solution to the set of problems that we're coming out of. Because in the end, right, narratives change as a function of the circumstances of a moment. And the circumstances have deeply changed over the last year. Uh, since the last time we, we we had this conversation, this debate, uh, through the course of the 2020 primaries. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yes, I do think it will change. But I also think that uh, there's been some amazing groundwork laid by, um, you know, Senator Sanders and and all of the, 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 the Congress people uh, and senators who have run on and won on uh, this issue. And, um, and so I'm looking forward to that next iteration. Uh, but either way, 
right? Either way, I, I think that <clears throat> this movement is building. Momentum has never been uh, stronger than it is right now. I know that's 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 hard to believe given where we are, but if you look at you know the, the metrics in in Congress, you got folks like Frank Pallone, um, a a seventeenth term congressman um, who's nobody's progressive, uh, but is supporting Medicare for all because he sees it as an answer to this moment. Right, and and an important committee chair as well. One quick thing, because I know people are going to be asking about this uh, at this point. How who's going to pay for this? How much is this going to cost me? Yeah, and, well, uh, yeah, and I know the, your overall the, your price of healthcare will go down. Your taxes may go up for for many of us, but who's going to be paying? How much out of pocket is this going to cost me compared to now? Well, the good news is that uh, it's going to cost us zero out of pocket in the sense of uh, deductibles and and copays. These. Um, out-of-pocket costs that are so surprising that send 67% of all people who go bankrupt into bankruptcy, um, these go away. Uh, and so it's going to be cheaper. And yes, we're going to pay for it, right? But we pay for healthcare now. Um, and we pay 18% of the entire economy for healthcare. Under Medicare for All, we pay substantially less. And more importantly, because it's financed in a progressive way, low-income people and people who are struggling don't get priced out of the system. Rather, uh, their costs go down and it becomes an affordable thing. And so uh, because um, everyone pays into the system, it is a collective good uh, that all of us fund, but all of us fund in a progressive way that is fairer than the system that we have today. And so uh, can you can you say if someone makes... Uh, when you, the wealthier people are going to pay more for this. That's right. How much, so how are we defining wealthy? Because of course our, our value of that here in California is skewed. Right. If you're, if you're someone who's making, you know, in the, in the multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars range, you know, the high likelihood is that your, your, uh, healthcare costs are going to stay the same or slightly increase. But if you're someone who's earning the median of say $70,000 a year for a family of four, your healthcare costs are going to decrease substantially. Um, and the important thing to remember here is it's not just that we're taking the same cost and distributing it in, in a different way. It's that the overall cost goes down substantially as well because we're eliminating all of those overheads. We don't have to pay CEOs tens uh, of millions of dollars uh, for, um, for, in effect, uh, denying us the health care that we already paid for. Uh, instead, that money is, is spent far more efficiently um, and is spread around in a far more equitable way. And okay, give us a couple of um, uh, key points to watch for in the upcoming weeks. If people want to get involved, what, what should they be doing? Yeah, so there are a lot of amazing organizations that are doing this work, folks like People's Action and Be a Hero and the Center for Popular Democracy and the Nurses Union and the SEIU. Um, and I encourage you to get involved there. But also, I think some of the most important organizing happens ad hoc with our friends and our loved ones and our family members. I hope folks will, will keep watching because uh, I'm looking forward to a series of hearings. Uh, you mentioned Frank Pallone. He's the uh, the uh, chair of the Energy and Commerce Committee, and he's promised a Medicare for All hearing. So I'm expecting that there are going to be some great Medicare for All hearings uh, in the near future. And I uh, hope folks that will pay attention and um, and really, really make sure that you are doing your part uh, to pressure your elected officials uh, to get right on this issue, because it is a matter of justice, but it's also a matter of our morals. Um, do we believe that healthcare is a human right? Do we believe that everybody deserves it? And if we do, uh, then we have the opportunity through this bill, through this movement, uh, to achieve that in our country once and for all. Dr. Abdul Syed, thank you so much for your time. The book is called Medicare for All, A Citizen's Guide. Uh, thank you for being on It's All Political. I appreciate it. It's my privilege. Thanks for having me. I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. 
I'd like to thank Dr. El Sayed for joining us today on the podcast. I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman, for producing today's episode. And as always, got to give a shout out to our fabulous theme music. That's Cattle Call, and it's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. And remember, no matter how long you think it will be to pass Medicare for all, it's all political.